Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. I'm James Parton, Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre. And I'm Adelina Chalmers. I'm the Geek Whisperer. Joining us today is Tim Beard, Product Director of Bradfield-based iProva. The company Tim works for is celebrating 10 years anniversary this year and they're the guys who are reinventing invention. Really look forward to hearing more about them. Hi Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Sure, thank you for having us. Yeah, it's a special occasion for me. I even put a shirt on. A rarity in these days. These days of COVID casual. Um, yeah, and it's great to be here in person as well, actually, which obviously the podcast listeners can't hear. But uh, So, yeah, so uh, a little bit about me. Um, I started my career, I, I did an engineering degree at, uh, at Oxford. Um, I always had a problem deciding what to do. So I, I did a general engineering degree, but then extended that to economics and management as well. There was a course I did there, which was quite good. Um, so I, liked, I found it very difficult to kind of home in on one area. And yeah, that, that'll come relevant later when we talk about the invention process. But um, I stuck with that. I was doing medical devices early on in my career, which was really interesting. And it's really, it's really nice to work on something where you, you actually feel there's some value in, in, in the products that you, that, that you develop. And I had a nice little moment. Um, this was back in the late 90s when I was doing this. But then about five or six years later, um, well, I'd been developing neurodiagnostic equipment. And I had a problem... Uh, five or six years later with my wrist. I went to Addenbrooke's to have it, have it scanned. And um, lo and behold, was a machine that I'd helped develop. Oh, really? And, uh, that I was used to. So, of course, I was immediately sceptical. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it seemed to work all right. So I was, I was quite pleased about that. Uh, so, yeah, little things like that. I think that's the kind of thing that makes being an engineer really uh, worthwhile when you see the, mm. the fruits of your labor being used to, mm. some, to some good. Uh, so, so I worked on that, but then I got lured, this is in the late 90s or mid-90s, I, I got lured into the world of mobile communications. This uh-huh. was when telecoms were really taking off. And I, I moved to a company that, that developed that, and I had a yeah, fairly long career then in, in mobile communications. Um, a lot of that was, early on, was, was attending the standards meetings, okay. which, which you used to d- define the, the standards. So this was well, three, 2G back then and 3G yeah. and, and 4G after that. Um, and that was really my first, uh, the first look at patents and, and IP. So, so a lot of the business of, of going to these meetings is, is essentially as you develop the standards, different companies want to put in their, their IP into the product because ultimately it's, it's a numbers game. And, and the companies like Qualcomm or Nokia or Ericsson who have the largest number of patents, however good they are or, or bad they are, um, you, know, you, you get the biggest benefit in terms of the licensing. So they just put them in a big bucket, divide, you know, and you end up paying or getting rewarded based on the proportion that you have in that, that bucket. So there's a lot of pressure to get all of these on. Um, but as I say, it doesn't necessarily, quantity doesn't necessarily equate to quality. Um, and certainly with, with 5G, from what I hear, I haven't been involved directly in the, in the patenting process, but it, it's, or in the, in the standardization process, but there's a huge growth now with you know, China and the companies there wanting to yeah. play a part. So the... 
thousands of documents at each of these meetings um, presented, each kind of trying to put in that little spin on, on, on that, which is a, it's an interesting world. It's a very competitive world trying to get, you know, generate this IP for these standards. Um, but there's huge value once you do it. So I, I spent a fair amount of time developing um, mobile phone technologies. Uh, and it, it, it's not, it's, again, it's nice to, to, to know, you know some of the inventions I made back then are in every single phone in the world. And only in a very minor, minor way, you know, there are thousands of these inventions in there. But still, there's that kind of feeling that, yeah, I helped to develop the technology. So that, that was a lot of fun. But then um, in, the mid, in about 2015, 2016, well, no, 2010, first I did, a, I did an MBA at Cambridge. Um, I thought I wanted to move things on a bit. But that's what really brought me into Cambridge. I'd been working in, well, I, actually, I'd worked in, in PA consulting for a while. Okay. Not, not not as not as part of PA Consulting, but a spin-off company for PA Consulting. So that's how I'd been in the Cambridge area. But then I'd moved away again. Um, decided to come back to do to do the MBA at Judge Business School, and then decided to like the area, so um, decided to move here um, and stay here. So anyway, following the MBA, I set up my own company to do uh, a bit of consulting around management science, essentially. So data-driven management decisions. Uh, which was kind of taking off, I guess. Yeah, d- data-driven approaches to everything were taking off in a big way uh, around that time. So I was doing that, but only on a, as, a, as an individual c- contractor, essentially. And it kind of went okay, but then, then I decided to take a sabbatical, basically. My, my wife got pregnant, we are going to have a baby, we just bought a new house, needed to do it up, etc. So I thought, well, okay... Um, contract came to an end, so I thought, right, I'll just take a break. And ended up, my kind of three-month break ended up being a year, what I did at the house. But uh, it's such a fantastic opportunity to kind of bond with the, the baby at that, that early stage. Yeah. So I don't, I don't regret any of that. But then I was very keen to look for something interesting to do. I didn't want to go back to the consulting. It was just too unstable, I guess. So I wanted a, But I wanted a really interesting job to do. And that's what got me uh, in touch with iProva. And um, that's where I've been now for the last three years or so. So, yeah, tell us a little <clears throat> bit more about Ibova then. I mean, uh, obviously, listening to your background starts to, you know, it falls into place for me because obviously I know what you guys do. But for the benefit of the listeners, give us a, a kind of rundown of what you guys get up to. Yeah, so I mean, Ibova is a really exciting company. We're, we're reinventing invention. And our founder uh, set up the company because he, he realized that there was this, this strange mismatch between yeah, the world around them, which was everything was becoming digitized and, and data-driven. And yet the invention, which was so fundamental to underpinning a lot of these advances, was, was still very much analog in the sense that it relied on serendipity. And there was no way of, there was no kind of certainty about coming up with invention in a timely fashion or who was going to get the inventions and, uh, and so forth. So uh, he, he founded iProva with the idea of taking a data-driven approach to invention. And what we've been doing, the company's 10 years old now, but what we've been doing for, the, for, for that time is developing technologies that enable us to bring essentially the world's inventive information together in a unique way that enables the process of invention to happen in a much more efficient way. So, so well, we say we give organizations inventive superpowers, essentially, because by by taking the world's information and using our technology to identify the inventive bits and the, the, the sort of underlying properties of this information that could bring it together from diverse areas, we're able to deliver targeted inventions in a very timely fashion. 
Could you kind of give us an example of a project that you've kind of brought to market that kind of demonstrates this? So in terms of the process, we've made yeah, so quite a few thousand inventions um, and, and the process of doing that is, is very rapid. So yeah, we start a new project um, about two weeks later with delivering a stream of inventions. And we've done projects in very diverse areas, a lot in sort of mobile phone technology, in autonomous vehicles, smart cities, but also in, in hospital technology, uh, yeah, a, a whole range uh, of, of things. Um, and so, I mean, in terms of examples, there, there are quite a few that we, we talk about. One, uh, the, you know, a few examples that illustrate quite well our process and, and how, we, how we work. So one area we're looking at was autonomous vehicles and, and, and healthcare. Mm -hmm. And these are not necessarily areas that, that you know, an expert in autonomous vehicles would not necessarily be an expert in healthcare. So finding connections between the two is not something that would necessarily happen quickly or systematically uh, unless somebody was, was looking for that. But again, using our, our approach, we can kind of bring together the fact that autonomous vehicles have the ability to move yeah, very precisely. So they can control their motion very precisely. They also are very sensor-laden both inside and out, clearly. So they can monitor the state of the passenger uh, as well as the state of the road. Oh. On the healthcare side, there's, a, there's numerous conditions that can be, that can be diagnosed using, by applying a force to the body and, and observing how that force acts on the body in terms of muscles. So like multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and even diabetes, there, there are useful testing performed by, by doing these kind of force application tests and then monitoring the result of the muscles. Now, if you combine these two, these bits of information together, you can, you can see how an autonomous vehicle can be used to perform health, those kind of healthcare tests while you're driving along because it, it can apply for, it can, by controlling its motion, it can apply those forces to your body um, and the sensors can then, then monitor the, okay. the output of that. So... Using that as a sort of basic system, that can then under, that can be sort of foundational to the area of, of autonomous vehicles and healthcare, and you can start to to think around that. You know, different inventions that can use the same kind of technology. To what else could you diagnose by by using the sensors within a vehicle and, and the, the particular capabilities of the vehicle? We call that like a smart space where there's not much activity up to up to now in that area, but uh, we can expect realistically expect that there would be in the future because. Yeah, autonomous vehicles are coming. Healthcare is always a always a big issue. So, if you can get in early with foundational inventions, then you know, it gives organisations a great opportunity to kind of map out that space and move into that area. Just building on that, then, when when a client comes to you, is the model one where they're kind of outsourcing their innovation to you, or are you an extension of their existing internal kind of engineering capability? Is it? A mix of everything. How does it typically? What does an engagement look like? So there are two, there are two main engagement models we have. Our, our traditional model is that we deliver a stream of inventions. So an organisation will come to us with a scope for a project. Mm. I don't know, maybe smartphone technologies. And we'll sort of narrow down a little bit to say what, what exactly are you looking for? You know, how soon do you want these inventions to be enabled? Um, you know, how, what do you want to avoid? What, the, what, what do you want to focus on, if anything? And we set the scope at the right sort of level, so it's broad enough to give you this kind of the ability to come up with diverse inventions, but narrow enough that it's not like, you know, invent the new smartphone type of thing. Yeah. And then we'll go away and we'll sort of train our model, which is you know, based around natural language processing and, and um, machine learning technologies to help sort of find the latest 
bits of inventive information from the world's information, which may be related to smartphone technology, but often might be related to psychology or, or uh, healthcare or, or you know, any other domain that, that might possibly impact onto, onto smartphone technology. And then we'll start generating a, a stream of inventions, which we'd present to a team of people within the organization. And, and typically, the, the teams within the organization involve um, there's an R&D function, often yeah, maybe the CTO, depending on the size of the company or, or the, that function. And then there'll be an IP function, uh, you know, the patenting side of the, the business. And then there'll also be a marketing and business function. So working out what is the business opportunity enabled by the inventions. And that, that's, a key, that's a key part of what we do. The inventions we have bring all, all three of these things together. So it's got to be technically feasible and technically sensible. Uh-huh. It's got to be novel in a patentable sense. Not, not all our customers are interested in patenting, but it's, yeah, it's got to have some high chance of novelty and that our process and our technologies, technologies yeah, maximizes the chance that the inventions we come up with are novel. And it's got to have business relevance as well. So all our, all our inventions are presented with a business you know, use case that demonstrates the business value. So it's a full kind of turnkey solution <clears throat> then, rather than just a technology development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so we, we come up with these inventions. I mean, typically two weeks after a kickoff of a project, we'll deliver our first set of inventions. It might be three or four uh, inventions. And these will, yeah, these will be fully formed in the sense that they, are, they include an inventive step, um, all the technologies that enable it, um, and, the, and the use cases that would, enable, it would uh, give you the business proposition yeah so we present that if, if customers like it they then essentially buy that and they, they then own the ip we transfer okay. the ip rights to them we, we don't actually take that forward and build a prototype or anything we just we develop the, the ah, core okay. the core concept right 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 that was going to i guess feed into my question which you might have answered then is like what's the <coughs> typical length of, of an engagement look like and do you have that kind of ongoing support for once something's developed but it sounds like you hand it over then to the client well we hand it over but we do help them at least through to the process if they want to patent it then then we'll help yep. Identify the the inventive steps and the the novelty that it, that is in there, and the, also the technical enablement that that goes into it. So, can I ask you what sort of companies would ask you to look at autonomous vehicles and healthcare in one box? That, to me, that sounds really interesting, and my brain is still baffled by that one. Um, and then also, how do companies hear about you? I mean, this is such a such a niche service. Well, so in terms of the companies we deal with, I mean, they tend to be big companies, so big multinationals with with broad bases. So. Sony, Panasonic, Philips, Nokia, people like that. Yeah, all of those companies have an interest in either, either autonomous vehicles or healthcare, for example. But often it wouldn't necessarily be that they want to combine the two together. It's that, that we would say, we're looking at the sort of convergence of technology. So we're looking at the progress of technology um, across this broad spectrum. A big part of what we talk about is the convergence of technologies. There's, a, there's an inev- inevitable convergence of all of these. Is is it sort of abundantly obvious with sort of smartphone technologies and again autonomous vehicle technologies, you know, sensors, and, and all of these technologies end up coming together. So there's an inevitable convergence. But the the flip side of that is that you're getting more and more specialization within organizations. So in order because of the extreme amount of information that's available on all these technologies you know, people are getting more and more specialized and that leads to the what we call the burden of knowledge where people are so narrow in their mm. can be so narrow in their focus or their their expertise that they, they find it very difficult to kind of bring in yeah. technologies from outside of that domain what we specialize in is being very broad and and so we don't we don't really compete directly with 
internal R&D teams because internal R&D teams will be great at taking their, their niche forward um, and developing the state of the art in their particular technologies. Uh, what we're good at doing is then bringing these sort of diverse ideas together, which might be diverse in the technology space or might be diverse in, in the value chain, um, but you know, taking bits from different areas and bringing them together. And then yeah, ideally we then create this, these sort of foundational inventions, which the internal R&D teams can then take and move forward into um, a whole range of additional inventions that, that around the enablement and the manufacturing and, and so forth. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because I guess a byproduct of most traditional organizations, especially larger ones that you've talked about, is that byproduct of the organization puts you into those kind of stovepipes, doesn't it? Where, And also you're not really incentivized to kind of think outside the box. You're just given delivery targets to ship product and you don't have that time to kind of think more strategically or broader which it sounds like where you guys are coming in and connecting the dots exactly and we do very much plug in at a strategic level within oh. these organizations and offer that that service to not just kind of i mean we do also look at the kind of what are the disruptive technologies what are the areas up and coming areas that are going to be interesting to look at in a few years' time, but we actually then populate that space with inventions. So that's what makes us unique, is we can actually generate these inventions. Just to pause the conversation a second and tell you a little bit more about the changes we're making at the Bradfield Centre, we now offer a whole range of new flexible membership packages which support home workers, hybrid home working blended with access to high-quality office space and meeting room hire by the hour. Starting from as little as £45 per month, visit bradfieldcentre.com for more information or call 01223-919-600. I mean, another kind of maybe an incorrect assumption was whether you saw any friction or resistance from being an outside delivery partner bringing in solutions to a, an internal engineering team but it sounds like it's yeah. a much more collaborative process than that absolutely and it is and that's always a question that comes up yeah. in when we're talking to companies about that and we certainly yeah, we can get resistance from that but we have to make it very clear that we do um, target a very different kind of space than, than they're oh. going to be doing internally um, and often yeah, the organizations where we, we work best are those that are mature enough to recognize the value of outside innovation and open to that possibility I mean, smaller companies often yeah, are very, very proud of the technologies they've developed, and quite rightly so, but that, that can often make them quite defensive about bringing in external yeah. people. So the companies we do work best with are those, those kind of larger organisations that do that. So one business model is that we deliver the stream of invention, so we, we act as a, um, inventors directly. The other, um, the other business model that we've just launched, and we've just, we had a press release quite recently um, about our partnership with BIC, uh, the, the French company making the, the biros and the, the shavers, um, who we've been working with for uh, about two years now. We did some inventions projects for them, uh, which they really liked, came up with some ideas that they just said could not possibly have been made within their organisation because of because exactly of the silo problem mm. and the sort of burden of knowledge. And so uh, we worked with them. We've now set up a data-driven invention lab, which is based around our technology, but uses their engineers, which we've helped to recruit and train uh, as the inventors. So we've set up a, a data-driven invention lab to enable them to, to invent in the same way as we do within their organization. And that's, so that's, that's our first invention lab of that sort. And that, that's very much the, the model we see moving forward. Um, and we've spent the last year, and this is what I've been focusing on as product director, on um, developing the product, essentially a SaaS-type model product that delivers our technologies 
as software and, and as a system to companies to set up this data-driven invention lab. My question, though, was, um, jumping into was actually about this space where you were talking earlier about where do they see you adding value? How much quicker can you do stuff for them comparing to how they would do it? But it sounds like they wouldn't do it in the first place because they're so narrow-focused and specialised. Yeah, and I, you know, I spent my life in technology companies that often have an IP function. And, you know, I was involved in that in trying to get it in standards, which certainly had a, had a purpose, but it, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, didn't necessarily need to lead to exciting uh, or high-quality inventions. Um, but they do serve a purpose of, of building your portfolio for the standards. But beyond that, often I've found within technology organisations, you have you know, some super smart people who will come up with inventions. They think they've got to, they've got to patent them because that's kind of what, they're, what gives them um, uh, yeah, pride in their work is oh. to, to create these inventions and patent them. But that doesn't necessarily mean those inventions are good for the company or necessary for the company. And a lot of big organisations have these really bloated patent portfolios that are just costing a huge amount of money to maintain um, and, and create in the first place, but you know, not really adding any strategic value. Whereas what we can do, we can come in and, and say, look, because of our targeted and very rapid approach, we can come in and say, right, look, if you want inventions, if you're trying to move into a particular area or you're trying to narrow down um, and, and home in on your particular speciality, we can, we can develop you these inventions um, rapidly and very, in a very targeted way that um, you can then select very, yeah, at, at the business level rather than at the kind of engineering level. Although, yeah, the engineering level will be involved, but the business level is there right at the start as well, saying, right, yes, we see value in this to add to our portfolio from a strategic perspective. Um, and giving inventions in that way that is, that is yeah, relatively low cost compared to yeah. the cost of developing in-house um, is, is hugely, uh, we think it's hugely valuable. I mean, obviously, it goes without question, you guys are hiring talented engineers and product people, but it sounds quite novel, the kind of AI layer that you put on top of that to kind of find those opportunities in adjacent markets and, and find those. I mean, is that unique in the marketplace? Is that sounds like it's quite defensible if you've trained this, uh, you know, algorithm or this AI over time. It's something that, you know, is going to be hard for other people to uh, to match. Absolutely. And we, yeah, we believe so. I mean, the, what we do, we don't know anyone who's doing or competing in exactly the same space, mm. um, using machine learning and natural language processing type technologies to yeah, explicitly do data-driven invention. Um, there are areas where we don't work that, that other people do, like drug discovery. There's a lot of, yeah, th th there are services called data-driven invention, for example, in drug discovery or, or, or materials discovery. But that, that's a very different process. That, that's where, um, yeah. Different mo different molecules, different um, structures are kind of analysed on you know, huge numbers very rapidly using um, using AI in order to identify some properties that might be useful, and then taking that forward. We don't work in that area. We work in a much sort of broader technology, physical sciences kind of kind of area. Um, and yeah, yeah. As of as of now, we don't know anyone who's who's doing the same, exactly the same kind of thing. I mean, we bring in. Um, yeah, obviously, we, we touch on aspects of, of lots of other functions. Um, obviously, there's an invention function going on. And there's also this, this disruption discovery type process that, that we, we're involved in, which is finding where, these, where the next set of disruptions are likely to come from within an industry, uh, within technology domain. But the combination of those and the use of AI technologies to 
facilitate that process and as we say give give inventors superpowers essentially to enable this kind of massive um speed and agility in invention is is unique as, as, as far as we know right now what what brought the company to cambridge <laughs> well so the the headquarters of the company is actually in lausanne in switzerland and the founder is based there when i joined the company we didn't have an office in in cambridge or or anywhere outside Lausanne. But as, as we grew, we were looking for to set up an office. Um, I, I mean, the fact I was based in Cambridge is, is kind of coincidental, I guess, because I think yeah, we, we saw Cambridge as a good place to be mm. within the UK. Um, the founder is from east of England, originally anyway. So, oh, wow. Um, and he's, he'd studied Cambridge too. So, so we always knew that Cambridge would be great as a hub for accessing smart people yeah. obviously and and the technologies and just the, the that ecosystem of of uh, um of activities really that that we can plug into yeah which is which is what we like i mean so when i joined the company i worked from home for two years so it was only we've only been in the Bradford center now for just over a year and and um so it was rather sad to be, <laughs> to lose that again earlier this year with the lockdown um so it's great to be back in albeit briefly and what's that experience uh, been like of kind of transitioning and from working <clears throat> to home to being in an office environment the kind of the benefits of being around like-minded people and other startups it's and yeah this is something i've looked at very kind of analytically because it's something we've we focused on before so having worked from home for two years you realize the limitations and the benefits of that i mean uh-huh. it was it was great well as yeah with young kids yeah, i can be at home bro i'm always on hand um that's also massive disruption but however good zoom and, and other um similar technologies are it never replaces the the just the the simple the simple things like sitting here and the the, the gestures the eye contact the, the yeah. general kind of um subliminal aspect of it mm. um and so just coming into an office and, and bumping into people in a coffee machine and yeah water cooler discussions all that kind yeah. of stuff um, and what's particularly nice, obviously, in, the, in a place like the Bradfield Centre is not only all the people here are, are interesting in some way uh, from a sort of technical perspective, but also the diversity is great as well. So, yeah, if you're in, being in an office with just your colleagues is, is great, but being in an office with your colleagues and all these other people who can bring a totally different perspective on things um, has been fantastic. What sort of exciting things do you have coming up for your company? I think is it ten year anniversary coming up. So yeah, it's a ten year it's ten year anniversary coming up. So I mean, in the early days, it was just our founder Julian Nolan, um, essentially, um, for for a few years, and he he was getting technologies off the ground, um, working with the university in in Lausanne EPFL um, to to help develop those technologies. So yeah, it was relatively s- slow growth to start with, but it's always been. A profitable company so from day one it's, it's never had um it's never had investors uh beyond it's had sort of grants and things like that but it's never had sort of taken on board investors so it's always yeah. grown organically um and yeah i think we're very proud of that fact so but maybe that means it hasn't grown as fast as it could have been if we'd pump loads of money into it and so forth but i think as a, as a result we've, we've all learned how to how to build uh technology in a, uh efficiently if you like so, so we, we you know, it makes you it makes you honest, I guess. <laughs> not, mm. not having investor money, it makes you honest to, in terms of um, what you need, and it, it helps you really focus. So it helps you focus on what you really need to develop. Yeah. Um, How big is the company now? 
Well, there's about 25 of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's uh, three or four of us in Cambridge. And um, we've got an office in London as well. Um, and, and the Lausanne office as well. So most of the software development is in, is in Switzerland. Um, most of the invention developers are based in London and Cambridge. Has COVID introduced any complexity or issues for the business or is it business as usual? You know, people still need invention, so it's full steam ahead. Well, I mean, interestingly, of course, times like this is when invention is needed more than ever. Yeah. Uh, and we did actually, we did a series of, of posts on that um, a few months ago on looking at different areas that are affected by this and how that's going to drive a yeah, massive need for invention. Uh-huh. Um, so, so on that perspective, I think that there's huge opportunity there. And in some senses, it's, it's given us the ability to talk to people that we wouldn't necessarily have talked to before because right. they're, they're more available, I guess, if nothing else. Um, but at the same time, budgets are, <laughs> are, uh, have been a problem up to now. I, we're, seeing it, we're seeing it kind of free up a bit now. And I think companies have kind of adjusted, big companies have adjusted a bit more now and recognizing, again, the value that we can bring into these organizations. Um, and we're really keen now. I think, yeah, particularly now is a great time for these this data-driven invention lab business that we're that we're launching because um, it, it enables companies to to leverage their own internal information as well. So, so we work with public information um, from the, from the internet primarily. But if you can also if we can also mine a company's private information, um, that'll give them yeah potentially a massive advantage. They can combine the best of the sort of publicly available inventive um, information and, uh, along with their own uh, abilities. Well, Tim, it was lovely having you uh, on, on the podcast. Thank you so much for telling us about what you're doing. Sounds really, really exciting. And I think we're very lucky to, um, to have you in the building. Thank you very much. So another really interesting conversation with Tim. Uh, I thought it was really interesting their approach of using uh, artificial intelligence to spot adjacent opportunities in different markets, uh, you know, to find those opportunities for new IP and new inventions. Certainly haven't come across that before. Oh, completely. But I was also personally really, really interested um, when I heard that he was at Edinburgh's um, and they used the machine that he had helped develop. And how he, he initially was um, a bit uh, distrustful of it. And this is a classic <laughs> engineer response to something they've been in, involved in building because you know all the niggles and all the problems that were um, developed along the way. So it's really and how proud he was when he actually delivered and worked. Um, so it's really lovely to hear uh, the impact that he had on the world and that um, if anybody uses the same sort of machine at Tatham Brooks, they'll be using Tim's invention. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, the tough times we we're going through as an economy, just fab- fabulous to hear a local company hiring. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in those roles with Tim, either reach out directly or get in contact with us and we can connect you. Thank you very much to Tim Beard for joining us on the show today. It was lovely hearing more about reinventing invention. Today's episode was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. You can listen to previous episodes by searching for Inside the Brackville Centre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher and now Amazon Music or by visiting brackvillecentre.com. Mm-hmm.